Uh, oh, uh, I guess I have something. Sure. Uh, the reviews for Uncharted came out this morning. And? It's looking real bad. <laughs> but, like, it, I feel like video game movies never have a first fir- shake, though. Yeah. Because, like, video games are what you make it to be. That's what makes it a video game. It's like, it's like the Mario movie. It's, it doesn't stand a chance. Because it's like, we all play Mario differently. Like how, like it, it has no chance, or a Link movie, or a Zelda movie, or whatever. Like, I, mean, I don't know. I feel like I'll be more open to a Mario <clears throat> or a Zelda movie than I am for an Uncharted movie because I feel like Uncharted already feels like a movie. So, turning that game into a movie, it's it's a decrease. I mean, so uh, what were all, what were all the negative reviews about though? Uh, that it's very whatever. That it's not. That if you if you remove the fact that it comes from a game, like it really does nothing new for like the adventure genre or, or anything. But I mean, like, what what did the games do that was new though? The the thing that the games did that was like wow, it's the fact that it put you in the shoes of that adventure uh, thing. You know, it's kind of like watching an Indiana Jones movie and then feeling like and then playing as Indiana Jones. So that's what Uncharted was that it, it gave you the experience of kind of engaging with a movie-ish um, adventure, you know, or with a cinematic level of, uh, of adventure. So it's kind of, it kind of only works as a game. So turning it back into a movie kind of doesn't work. But, so, like, yeah. but like, okay, I have a theory, and, I can, okay. and I'm more than open to being wrong here, but I, I think I'm right. If Indiana Jones had come out as a video game first, and then they made the movie with with Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford directed by Steven Spielberg. Like if, if they had done it after the fact, I can almost guarantee you it wouldn't work. People would have been saying the same thing. Like it's 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 like no, take it as its own individual piece of entertainment and go from there. Because yeah, I mean, and, and I and I agree with that. But here's the thing: you know, we'll review the movie when, when <clears> we see it. You know, and we'll and we'll talk about it when when we do see it. And I will I will only judge it as what it is. But here's also the thing. The movie has been in the can since, like, the first game came out. The first game came out in, like, 2007 or 8. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember there were talks of, like, hey, maybe Mark Wahlberg is is, going to play Uncharted. And so much time has passed that Mark Wahlberg is playing the guy that is helping Nathan Drake, who in the games, Sully, he's an old man. Uh... I mean, Mark so Wahlberg isn't known for doing like the best movies. I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Four Brothers is like fantastic. Have you seen uh, Infinite? I have not. No. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, I like. I like the. I don't dislike Wahlberg. He's a little weird. Like I've heard he punches Asian Asian men in the, in the street. Um, so don't don't not a fan of that. But I like the Instant Family. Instant Family was a cute movie. And uh, and I think it was funny that you know you know what yeah. you know, the thing is about Mark Wahlberg and I I wrote this review I don't remember where I did it but I, I put <clears throat> it, it, his all of his movies are so bland because they always do the same thing insert man is the only thing standing between insert government agency taking over insert country and or world you know one man army to defend insert freedom or United States like. He, he, he always plays the generically the same shit every movie. I, I listed it back when we started our website. 
like just a shit talking. Uh, when you did Spencer, when you did Spencer uh, PI okay. or something like that. Anyway, like Spencer just confidential. Thank you. But ever since yeah. then, it's like Wahlberg is like he did like three movies that I really like, and that's about it. All right. So, so yeah. Ted, Ted Two, and Four Brothers. No, Ted, Four Brothers, and uh, is a I think it's called Fighter. The one he did with Fighter? Christian Bale. Okay, yeah, Fighter. Yeah, so he's know the so no know the nights. other guys. No boogie nights. Uh, no, the no the Departed. No boogie nights. Oh fuck you! Fine, I guess the Departed. No boogie nights. No nice. pain and gain. The pain no and gain was Water stupid. Horizon. No Transformers Four. Still stupid. No Three Kings. Still stupid. No shooter. Still stupid. No Patriots Day. <laughs> Can I say something real quick? I feel yeah. like. So I had a friend of mine tell me once that Shooter was her favorite film of all time. I was okay. like, that's such a weird movie to pick. That is and, a weird movie. Right? But then the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Because she was, uh, I'll say this, she's part of one of those individuals that's very, um, I say this, pro-gun. I'll go, in, I'll go in that direction. Pro uh, government is trying to take us all over. The pro uh, like conspiracy theorist. Okay. And it made sense to me because I'm like, oh my god, you people think that you're the good guy. You think you're in an action movie. You think you're the sh- you're you're the one being framed, or you're the shooter. You're the you're the one person standing between us and freedom. I think that's what a lot of people think. Like they're the protagonist in this action film. And that's how we got January 6th, 2021. You know, it's weird because that's exactly what I thought about the movie Nobody. And yet you were like, yeah, no, this is awesome. Because it's contained. Like, it's like, oh, it's just this one dude, like this one Russian mafia. Like, they got beef. Like, it's it's not like a conspiracy that the United States is trying to murder the president and the CIA is trying to take over, like, like the Illuminati. It's just like, hey, I was a hitman. You got beef with me? Let's go. Do you it, think we lost the, Do you think that we lost the Del Toro artsy artsy kids? We probably did. We should get back to the review. <laughs> and there we go. We cut it there. That's how you make a bit. God. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, also, for what it's worth, I really did like this movie. <laughs> okay. I, All right. did, did it come out before before New Year's? No. Well, okay. it depends on where you were. It, it didn't come <clears> out here until January, <throat> but it's nominated for Best Picture. So, I mean, I'm going to be straight up with you. This will probably make my top 10 of the year. I really okay. like it. I really like uh, it. Unless Murder on the Nile, unless Murder on the Nile, like, pulls something out of its ass. Uh, we should get into it. All yeah. right. Ready? And five, four. Wait, what the fuck? I'm, I do that for video reviews. <clears throat> you introduce this. You go first. No, you no you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> Thank you for welcoming us onto your screens or onto your headphones, depending on how you're watching this. I'm Eddie. And I'm Chema reviewing Nightmare, Nightmare Alley. Alley. And this, this is the, is the rollback. Roll we almost had that perfectly synced that one time. Yeah. I mean, Zumbi's going to give us a delay either way. So, yeah. 
All right. So, Nightmare, Nightmare Alley. Alley, man or beast, an ambitious carnival man with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words, hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is. So, we have Nightmare Alley, the new movie directed by uh, our Lord and Savior Guillermo del Toro, uh, who we we love here on this on this channel, your channel, our our show uh, 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 at least i do you know we'll get we'll get a bit into its history and it is uh, a, a kind of a weird detour for the toro it is his first movie without any uh, paranormal or monsters or ghosts or anything like that so it has to live on performances it has to live on on environment it has to live on how it looks and how it feels and we have Bradley Cooper, we have Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, William Dafoe, Rooney Mara, and a bunch of others, uh, really good actors. So I've heard this is based on a book, so it's also a, a, a movie that is not uh, out of Del Toro's own imagination. And it has somehow found itself uh, running uh, as one of the... Uh, 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 as one of the fun runners for the Oscars, because it's nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it's. I think it's also nominated also for like design or for like costumes or anything or, or something like that. Uh, kind of very few categories, but one of the big ones. So, what do we think about Guillermo del Toro's new movie, Nightmare Alley? Go ahead. Um, well, can I preface this by saying I'm not the biggest Guillermo del Toro fan. I don't dislike his stuff. Like genuinely, he's one of those directors that I've just never really caught on. Like I really like his Hellboy films, but that's about it. If I'm being honest with you. Okay. Um, he's just been he's niche, I think. He he's, he's, he's a, a niche, yeah. He, he's he's a Kevin Smith, you know. Um he I, does for, things for he does things, yeah. He's much like Kevin Smith does things for Kevin Smith fans, Guillermo del Toro does things for Guillermo del Toro fans. I agree. Um, but I, I mean I liked Blade 2. I really liked Hellboy, don't care for much else. Um, but Nightmare Alley damn uh this is a callback to like straight 1940s 50s and 60s noir you know noir you're you know what i'm saying um mystery you have the damsel of distress uh it's a mystery you have the damsel in distress the fall you have, like i mean it's and it's just i love the way that the story is structured in general i want to get into you know the first second and third act with you actually in detail because i really like the whole way it's all spread out but my first reaction is I really like it. I know we're only, uh, folks, as of the time of this recording, it's only February 15th. We're only like, what, six, seven weeks into the year. But yeah. I'm already looking at this as this is probably in my top 10. Like in a year when we film our next one, uh, I, I have every anticipation this will probably be there just because of how wow. good this movie is. Um, wow. What's it called? It's, it's not often that you get a movie that's old school mystery, like who done it, how they done it, or like you go on one of these trips and this movie feels like it i'm sorry i don't know if you can tell i liked it i liked it yeah no no, no. and i'm and i'm shocked because uh not because you you like a, a movie but but because you know we general thought is a subject that we don't we haven't uh attacked directly yet on the show i don't think we've reviewed any of his movies so far uh i mentioned uh shape of water being in my top 10 of that year when that came out uh, and I, 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 I liked it a lot. And uh, I think the Academy did as well because it, it won Best Picture and it won a, a bunch of awards. I've been a Guillermo del Toro fan for a long time. Uh, I, I love the, 
uh, both Hellboy and Hellboy and Hellboy Two. I saw them in theaters. Uh, there's uh, it's one of the okay. So you know how you grow up. You 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 have siblings. You have sisters, right? Um, you probably have done this thing where like you grew up watching a movie a lot of times that you quote with them that like pr you probably do. You have like one or two lines that you like say back and forth. You don't No. Okay. My sister and I do. And, uh, <laughs> my sisters were and, significantly older than me. I, I think yeah, we have a oh, yeah. difference than y'all. That, that's right. We're, we're only like two, two years difference. There is a scene in Hellboy two where, uh, where Hellboy and uh, I forgot his name, but like the Fishman, they're, they're drinking beers and they're sad because he's, uh, <laughs> He's, he loves this girl and he helped with You know, like, I can't live smile without you. Yeah, you know yeah. the scene. Yeah, so my sister and I saw that scene in theaters when we were kids. And there's a scene where, like, after they finish, Hellboy rush, uh, rushes to like, to, like, his locker and pops up a, uh, a six-pack of, uh, of Tecate beers. And they're obviously Tecate because the, the, the Toro is Mexican. And he has, like, the last one. And he just goes, son of sultimas. So, so, so he's saying like, they're the last ones. <laughs> and like my sister and I quote that, that just that one line over, like through our entire lives. Like every time we're like, it's the last one. We're like, it's the last ones. Like it's, it's like a line that we just quote like over and over. So like, that's, that's a thing that like goes all the way back there. I'll do you another one. Uh, let me show you something. I kind of rejected the idea of physical media in the recent years. I've sold most of my Blu-rays because everything's streaming now. And that's fine. You know, they're the, the physical needs. I, however, keep this. This is the criteria. This is not going to do for, for great radio. This is the mm -hmm. Criterion collection for Guillermo del Toro. It's three of his movies and it's the Criterion package. And I, I, I love this thing. It's, it's, it's like this. It's a box mm -hmm. and there's like it goes like this, and there's there's it's 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 three of his movies. It's uh it's mimic, it's the devil's it, it, sorry, it's Chronos, it's the devil, it's his devil's backbone, and it's uh Pan's Labyrinth. So that's that's that, that's all three of his movies, and they're Blu-rays, and they are like his editions with like his commentary, and he has a journal with his drawings and everything. And I love this thing, and I only have criterion for this, and I have one for uh Ituama Tambien, which is another Mexican movie directed by Alfonso Cuaron. So I love Guillermo del Toro. When you're Mexican, you love Guillermo del Toro. I don't know how to explain this. We just have an attachment to the guy. He just feels like he's really nice. There's an ongoing joke that everyone says that he smells like hotcakes. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that, but there's like an ongoing joke with the, with the like, there's Guillermo del Toro. He seems like he smells like hotcakes. And then there's like, there's a picture of like Christopher Nolan hugging him at the Oscars. And then he like turns around and he's being interviewed and somebody wrote, uh, they asked him what, what it felt like to hug Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. He, Christopher Nolan confirms he smells like hotcakes. I don't know where it came from, but it's a beautiful joke and I love it. Um, so he's an inspiration to like, to like all of us, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I see him the way that Remy the Rat saw that chef in Ratatouille. Like when he's like, maybe one day I'll get to be a chef. You know, that's how every Mexican sees Guillermo del Toro. We see him and we're like, maybe one day we'll get to exploit, we'll get to, you know, leave this horrible country and like succeed somewhere else. You know, that <laughs> is what he represents. So when Guillermo does something, we follow him.
okay? Mm-hmm. That, when he was promoting Shape of Water, there was a beautiful moment when they asked him, hey, how come all of your movies are really dark and depressing and about monsters, but yet you seem like such a jovial, happy person? And he said, because I'm Mexican. And that became the battle cry of the century. <laughs> so we love Guillermo in this house. I love Hellboy. I love Hellboy too. Uh, Pacific Rim, I think it's awesome. I think it's such a fun action movie. Uh, I like Shape of Water. Pants Labyrinth, I think it's one of the most important movies ever made of all time. And uh, and I think he is a, a genius. And I think he's one of the most important uh, people in the industry right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got excited to see Nightmare Alley, but I had this like small suspicion that it wasn't a movie that he, I don't want to speak for him, obviously, I, I don't know him, but it feels like a movie that he did for the studio. Mm-hmm. Like the studio was like, was like, hey, one for you, one for me, you know? Yeah. So it doesn't feel... Like, out of all of Guillermo Toro's movies, it fits aesthetically, it fits thematically, and yet, for some reason, it feels like the odd one out. It feels well, how, like... Why so? The, it feels like it's the one designed to be more of a... I don't want to say mainstream movie, mm-hmm. but it feels like the one that feels the more... Weirdly, his more, most normal movie, if that makes sense. Like I used to say that was Pacific Rim, but no, Pacific Rim is like weird enough. And this one is weird. Like, obviously it's a Del Toro production. It has to be, but it feels more like mainstream weird, mainstream weird, but like, like uh, very accessible. I think, I think it's very accessible. I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes like his highest grossing movie, like straight up. I mean, does it have the most star power that he's ever had? I yes, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with everything. I would say yes, yeah. Because hmm. like, because like, I think the most famous people that has been in his movies are like what uh, Tom Hiddleston in Crimson Peak, I think. Probably, and that's because I don't remember that movie having a lot of marketing. Now that I think about it, it was really, it was a hard R. Um, yeah. Is this on track to be his highest grossing film? Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be Hellboy or, or am I wrong? I don't know what his highest grossing film would be, but I do think that this is his most like widespread, easily accessible, digestible film, if that makes sense. For I mean, yeah, I mean it's mm-hmm. it's not niche uh del Toro. Is that if that does that make sense? It's like cop yeah. out for Kevin Smith. It's the most un-Kevin Smith movie Kevin Smith has ever made. Yeah, but it's but you know it's not an insult. It still feels like a Del Toro movie. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, uh, but it does feel like it's here's the, here's the thing about uh, about about Del Toro, and I say this lovingly. Okay, mm-hmm. Del Toro is an incredibly creative person, and he's given too much freedom, and that is good because every movie that we get from him is really unique. In its own way. It's not for everyone, but it's it's definitely the movies that I know he wants to make. Mm-hmm. And he is someone like, like Hideo Kojima for, for video games. Like he is someone that they give him a lot of, he has a lot of creativity, but they don't, the studios don't tend to restrain him. And because of that, he tends to make movies that are for him and for his people. They're not commercial successes. Mm-hmm. Like his movies are not commercial, they're critical successes. 
and they are movies that are remembered and they and there are movies that are, that are quoted and referenced and you and immediately recognizable but they're not uh high gro- high grossing movies they're not like pacific grim was famously famously tanked and famously bombed and uh because it was like people kind of went to see a transformers movie and they were shocked when it wasn't but it was mm-hmm. good and yeah. and yeah and it was different enough so I don't blame people who don't get into his movies because they are kind of niche. Yeah. So, but that means that they don't make enough money. I feel mm-hmm. like this is like the middle, this Nightmare Alley is the middle ground. Like the studio was like, hey, make this movie, make it a little restrained, make back a little money and then go and do something new that you want. Because I know his next movie is going to be his version of Pinocchio that's going to come out on Netflix. And I think it's going to come out in December. Um, I think that's pretty much like almost done. So, you know, he's probably going to be safe for like a different production, but direction, I've heard directors say that when they do movies, it's one for me, one for them, them being the audience, them being the studio. And I feel like that's what this movie is. I feel like this movie is like, okay, middle ground. Okay. I need to make something that like, it's a little bit more recognizable, has, uh, has a little bit more star power and maybe, maybe more easily digestible. It should be. It should have not worked, which is why I'm shocked by this movie. It was actually really good. You know, is it just me? Uh, and I could be wrong. I think this is the first movie he's ever done. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not as familiar with this work as other people, where he hasn't had a monster in it. I mean, yeah. I guess technically the monsters inside of us all. We'll fucking get to that later. Um, but like, there's no, no Hellboy, there's no vampires, no beasts, no ghosts. No real ghosts. Nothing anyway. supernatural. Yeah, it, it it it's more of a is is it cautionary tale the right phrase to say? It's just it's more of a story rather than an actual uh, you know uh, mythic story. The other films that he's done, correct me if I'm wrong, were they all original ideas from him? Um, Pants Labyrinth is kind of like his version of Alice in Wonderland, kind <laughs> of very loose. The Pacific Rim is like his tribute to like kaiju's Kaiju. and Gundams. Uh, Nightmare Alley, I know it's based on a novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crimson Peak, I don't know. I think it might be based on a novel, but I don't know. Hellboy, obviously, based on the comics. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, Blade, also based on the comics. I think Devil's Backbone, Chronos, and Mimic, those are original. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, but l- let's dive into it. Let's dive to the first act. And I think the first act is probably from the beginning right up until the point that he leaves the carnival. Yeah. Um, the beginning uh, leads us into a, a cliffhanger, like right from the get-go, where he clearly there's a body that he's throwing to the bottom of a house, and he sets the house on fire and walks out. Um, Great way to start a movie, by the way. I was way. like, well, yeah, who the fuck is this guy? Who is he burying? Is that his wife? His kid? Yeah. Who the fuck is this? And, you know, he's a down-on-his-luck guy. This movie also takes place in the 40s, which, which I think serves the story, because... You couldn't do a movie like this, you know, modern day. They have to do it, you know, back in the 40s. Yeah. Um, he joins a carnival and he learns uh, tricks, of tr- tricks of the trade uh, from a mentor or father figure, I guess, in, in the face of Pete. Um, and I think Zena is her name. The one that, that kind of talks to him about everything. Zena, yeah. Zena. Um, in addition to that, he helps out one William Defoe playing William Defoe. Uh <laughs> Well, the phone was having a fucking ball in this one. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, Clem. Um, 
But yeah, so they're there. Um, he learned something called he learns about something called a geek, which uh, is <clears throat> part man, part beast. In reality, it's just a dude who's like high off his ass on meth and and you know, yeah, opioids and whatnot. But um, yeah, we have those. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but but it, we, we don't have them at the circus. We just you know put them in jail. Um. Which, I don't know, maybe a fight club would be cool. No, nah, we shouldn't go there. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and he learns all these tricks of the trade, which, I don't know about you, I thought it was pretty cool when they showed us how they were doing all these tricks, you know, mm-hmm. to get people to think that, oh, wow, we're actually, you know, they're actually clairvoyant. You know, oh, just swap them out, and then you read it, and you have the mirror over here. It's like, oh, that's how they fucking do it. Because, you know, yeah. it's fake. But how do you fake it? That's what I want to know. Yeah. I wonder, uh, I, wonder how, I wonder how much money Guillermo del Toro had to give someone so that way they would tell them their secrets. <laughs> uh, if I knew those secrets and Guillermo just asked me, I would just be like, sure. <laughs> Can I smell you? Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just want to know if he smells like hotness. I just want to confirm that, okay? To confirm that theory. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, here's the thing. When I, but before watching this movie, I saw, I think, one trailer. And after that, I just saw posters and that was it. So when the movie switched from being in the carnival to being in this other location completely for like another two thirds of the movie, I was shocked because I thought the whole movie was going to be in the carnival. I thought the whole movie was just going to be a day in, day out of this, like of what happens here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we see, you know, our, 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 our protagonist uh, who's played by, by Bradley Cooper. His name is Stan. And uh, he meets he meets all these people, and of course he starts learning and everything. He meets uh, Rooney Mara, who's this girl called Molly, and she gets like, electrocuted and she can somehow survive it. And uh, they begin like this the, the, this kind of romance that eventually leads them out. Um, I thought it was cool. I thought it was believable. I think the scenes at the uh, at the carnival are really the best scenes in the movie. I love how atmospheric it is. Like, like uh, the total movies really surround you in the locations. And it really felt, I like how they kept revisiting the same locations. It kind of felt like if you were to drop me there, I could, I would know where everything is. Like I would know where, where a, a certain a tent would be. I, I, I know where Bradley Cooper was sleeping. I know where the pit was. Like I, I, I feel like I, I could find myself around this place. Okay. And I think they'll sort of really build those sets uh, really wonderfully because you could really tell like what is happening in the scene in, in, in those scenes. Um, I was a little confused when like the movie starts and like Bradley Cooper doesn't say a line until like maybe like 10 minutes in, in, into the movie. And then when he talks, he has like this accent. So this is like the first time that I've seen Bradley Cooper in something where I feel like he's really disappeared into a role. Like there were scenes where I straight up forgot that it was Bradley Cooper. Like I was just seeing a character. Yeah. And you know, he he's proved once and again that he's he's a good actor. Like he 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 is. But I feel like this is the first time where I've seen him like really like submerge himself into a character. And I think the accent helped, the clothes helped, the 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 hair, everything just worked. Uh all the other actors do a great job, but He's never been like an actor that I'm like excited to see. Like, oh, I'm so excited to see the new Bradley. Movie. Like, no, not really. I like these movies, but this is the first time where I'm like, God damn! Like, he really impressed me in this one. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, the whole cast star studded, you know. Um, mm-hmm. props to Del Toro, he restrained. I you use the word restrained a lot, and I think you're right, also. Like, the star studded cast is all throughout, you know, and he restrained himself enough to not use William Defoe the whole time, he didn't use uh Ron Perlman the hard time the whole time, you know, he didn't use all these other great actors and actresses the entire duration of the film, he spread it all out. Um, <clears throat> you're right, he, he sent everything, it was all practical, which. I appreciate because I can tell you right now they probably would have CGI'd it if they could have, but Del Toro don't play that fucking game. Yeah. No, he he's he was great. That's what I like about his movies. You can really feel the size of everything, yeah. and they really involve you. And then when we get to the second and third act, when basically we spend more time in these hotel rooms and in these offices and these other spaces. Um, the shadow work is wonderful. It really builds on the atmosphere. And you can really tell, like you mentioned, you compared it to a noir. You know, I'm, I'm not very familiar with, with noirs. I've seen more parodies of noirs than I've seen actual noirs. <laughs> but uh, if this is one, like, it's a good one. Because, like, the shadows and everything, everything feels like the cover of, like, an old pulpy novel. And I love that, man. I love the aesthetic. It feels like a dime store book. You know, it, it feels like yeah. one of those old school. I, I'm sorry. I like those old school films. I like those old school, you know, mystery films that, you know, it, and it's not so much a mystery of like what happened. It's how, how they done it. You know, who done yeah. it. Uh, with like detectives. Um, I think the closest thing you could think of would probably be like um, Bioshock. The third one, the one with... Um, with Booker and Elizabeth. Uh, Bioshock Infinite, yeah. That one, yeah. It, that's about as close as you can come. Like, if you want to think of noir, that modern day, maybe even yeah. something like that. Like, you know, you have a you have a, a gumshoe detective, you know. Oh, Chinatown's another one. But anyway, uh, okay. this movie just feels like a love letter to, to that. And it, it's so rare that we get great old school films like this that feel old school, that feel like, you know, these are films that the directors probably that this director probably saw this kind of film when he was a kid and did. yeah was like you know Absolutely. what i want to make one of those and great job mm-hmm. um do you want to jump into the second act or you got anything else to say about the first um i yeah when we can jump into the second act i really miss the characters in the first in, in, in the first act like i love will defoe like i could yeah. see william defoe in everything and I never get tired of him. Okay, I see. I I think I mentioned this before, but like I see William Defoe as like a, a man that wakes up every morning, like brushes his teeth, puts on his clothes, gets some coffee, and like gets to the set holding his script, and he's skipping the entire time. And then he gets to set, and right before they right before they yell action, he's like. I get to act today. Like, like that's the vibe that I get from him <laughs> on every performance. And that's the vibe that everyone should give when they're doing their job. But like, that's the vibe that I get from him when he's doing a performance. I feel like he's always so into it and so, uh, so uh, engaged with every performance that, that he does. So I love them in this movie, especially because if you just saw him in like uh, Spider-Man mm-hmm. and then seeing him in this, like, it's such a great one to punch because they're not that different, but you know, that was, you know, the phone is most like unhinged ever since I saw him play Jesus Christ. But uh, in this one, it's like, yeah. in the last temptation of Christ directed by 
a young director called Martin Scorsese. And there is a, never heard of this movie? No. Never heard of The Last Temptation of Christ? No. Oh, watch it. It's good. I don't think I want to. Yeah. Martin Scorsese, like, it's like his second movie. And yeah, it's great. Jesus. Anyways. Literally. Um, yeah. Anyways. So, um, yeah. So I miss those characters. Uh, I like where the story went and I like how eventually it was resolved. But if you would have given me a, but remember this is a two and a half hour movie. It's a long movie and it feels long and it feels like it's 45 minutes of them in the carnival. And then an hour and 45 of them, like, you know, with another storyline. And if you would have given me a two hour movie of just of just people living at the carnival and make and making ends meet, I would have enjoyed it. But you know we've established before. I am a I am a guy that enjoys like the casual nothing happening mundane storylines, uh, and this is clearly not that kind of movie. But the the atmosphere that was building in the carnival was so strong that I could have enjoyed it if it lasted a bit, a bit long. But yeah, um, that's my main thing. Like I like the movie, but when you see the poster, it's got Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara. And like other people that are also in the carnival that don't show up again, except for like a short little scene. So I don't know if that's how the movie was marketed or they just need to have more faces in the poster, but I kind of miss those characters. I now that I know like how the story is and everything, I know that it, they didn't need them anymore. But that's but you know, that's just how I felt the movie was gonna be versus what it actually was. Yeah. You know, do you do you remember the trailer at the very first trailer when the teaser came out a long time ago? No, I think I just saw like I never saw the trailer like on purpose. I I saw the trailer when I was like in theaters and they showed the trailer. You know, so, and it may be the teaser trailer, but the very first trailer that I remember watching for this film, it had nothing to do with Bradley Cooper or, uh, being like clairvoyant or psychic or any of that shit. The way they presented it is that there was a monster on the loose and they're trying to catch it. Okay. Like, like they're trying to contain it. They're trying to catch it. It got loose from the carnival. Something escaped. Like that's the way they presented the film was like, there's a creature and then they, they need to get it. Um, maybe the, the, cause the, the company that does the trailers is typically different from the production company. They hire a third party company to like, Hey, I need you to make a trailer for this. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. I think you have fucking editors of the ass have one of them do it that knows what the fuck he's doing, but I digress. Um, they so no, gotta that, sell their movie, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, no, I didn't hate it. I, I like the fact that they started out in the at the carnival, and then it fast forwards two years, and we go into this story. Like it's, I, I, I'm on your side. I get it. I just, I don't mind the story. We, the journey we went on. Um, but yeah, so in the second act, we I think it's about the part where they leave the carnival right up until the point where, God, where do you think the, the third act, uh, the second act ends? When he starts sleeping with the, with the psychologist or they decide to make the judge a mark? I think the when they, when they start to make the plan to trick the, the, the rich guy. Into, yeah, I think that's where the, where the final act starts. Um, so yeah, so we start the second act and I here's where here's where I also think that this was like a little bit more more, more digestible. There is a physical thing that Bradley Cooper's character does um, 
that I think helps close out the movie at the end. That is when we jump into this this this, this new act. That I think two years pass. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, two years. Uh, Bradley Cooper has this little thin mustache that he keeps for the rest of the movie. So does Willem Dafoe's character, and I don't think that was a coincidence. Oh shit! I did not notice that. I think that was on purpose. Like, like he was physically kind of becoming that con man, uh, directing on charge. Uh, I feel like that was on purpose. Okay, mm-hmm. like maybe he took he took everything he learned from that carnival, but then he also took like not his identity, but he took that from him. You know? Yeah. That's like the cue that I got from like there, and, and I thought, okay, that's gonna that's definitely gonna play in later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I'd say definitely it fucking does. Um, so he, so he seemingly he's a successful guy in the uh, in the big city. He has an act. He even says he has two sellout shows per day. You know, they're doing pretty well. They they have a fucking home, like a like a beautiful apartment with uh, you know with fine dining and all that. Seemingly everything's going well for them. Um, and then this this psychologist comes and challenges or psychiatrist comes and challenges them. You know, saying I call bullshit. There's no way you're clairvoyant. Um, initially, she makes things difficult. She could, she they risk, you know, losing everything. But instead, uh, Bradley Cooper decides to team up with her, and they start to run a scam. They start initially on this young couple. This not young couple, but couple that lost their son in the war. And then the psychiatrist says, "Hey, if you want a real mark, I know this rich guy." Um, we play with him. We play for keeps, and we, there's a lot of money to be made. Yeah, um, that's where I wanted to mention this because this movie is not a horror. It's not. It's got a couple of scenes that did make me jump. That makes sense. Yeah, like not jump scares, but there were some scenes that. Maybe it was the sound design or the direction or something, but that scene, and you know, we're obviously going through spoilers and everything, but like that scene where like, you know how he, t- he tricks that, that that older couple into believing that their, that their son is alive? And yeah. Like, well, not, not alive, but like, yeah. Scene where like, like a long way after, this woman is like, that's so great that we got to talk to our dead son. Yeah, that's great. Okay, let's go see him now. And like shoots her husband <laughs> and then shoots herself. Those gunshots out. Those gun sounds felt a little too realistic. <laughs> Maybe it's because it's the first time in a long time that I I went to the theater and I didn't sit sat in the middle. I sat in one of the sides. Oh, maybe I was maybe up. I was really close to the to the to the to the speakers. But those gun sounds were a little too a little went a little too hard. And maybe it's because we didn't see the gun until it was finally being shot. Like. Something about that design really worked to make those scenes effective because they got me to jump a couple of times. And that happened like several times in the movie. Um, I think it was really well executed though. Um, no, you're right. That, that was fucking, it, it threw me off. I'll be honest with you, man. I did was not expecting that in any way whatsoever. Um, cause she, she's like that weird, soft-hearted mom, the, the actress... You don't expect expect her to do shit like that. So when she pulls a gun out of nowhere, I was like, "Oh, this is the backlash they were talking about." You know, it just I wasn't expecting it, but okay, I guess I guess that just happened. Oh my 
God. Um, yeah, so the, the movie's like shot, filled with with scenes like that. And when we're in this in this in this act, the movie starts to feel very elegant, starts to feel very clean, it starts to feel very uh but very very busy visually, which is you know the the total's classic. And uh it reminded me a little bit aesthetically of the shape of water, which it takes place not in the same time. No, uh, Shape of Water takes place in the '60s, if I'm not wrong, uh, but close. Couple, couple ten, a couple ten years, twenty or so, so, something like that. But it feels kind of similar in that that old school uh, vibe. Uh, when we get Kate Blanchett in the in the role, who is great, I think she's one of the best actresses ever. Um, but there was like a part of me that was like seeing her and Rooney marrying the same scene. I felt like I was watching a sequel to Carol. Uh, oh my God. I've never seen that movie, but that was always on my list. It's good. I believe yeah. it. I believe you that it's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I felt like I was watching a, a sequel to Carol also because it takes place in like all the times and like, you know, the way they dress and everything. Um, but Kate Blanchett is, 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 is she's at her Kate Blanchett in, 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 in this, like really. Like she, she really feels like she's from another time and she, she does great in this. Um, kind of stealing the spotlight from Bradley Cooper, if I'm honest. Really? Like you were, thought so? I felt like they were gonna, those two are very like, hey, watch me. Like, hey, watch me. I mean, I'm, I, I'm the captain now, okay? Well, see, no. But, Blanchett is just better. Like she's just miles above him, and like, and, and you know, it shouldn't be a competition, but uh, she steals that spotlight. Like that spotlight is her. The camera loves her. Okay, so so she does great. Yeah, you know, the, the thing is, is um, she reminds me of an old school um, femme fatale. She feels like that. You know, I was the gonna blonde say hair, the red yeah. lipstick. It, she fits yeah. the role perfectly. You know, she even yeah. incorporates her bodily, her body, her scar that she has. Um, she, yeah. I, I think she alluded that, you know, she crossed the wrong person. Like, that, that's yeah. what happened. Um, she utilizes all of that. And it's just, you can tell from a mile away, oh, she's death. Like, she will kill you, man. She will be the cause of your demise. Yeah. Um, which makes sense. And, I mean, and that's what happens, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, she... So you're familiar with the whole, like, you know, femme fatale, like, you know, yeah, cliche yeah, yeah. and all that. Absolutely. Um, actually fits it perfectly. And this film does it perfectly. Rooney Mara, uh, her character, is seemingly like the kindest, you know, most loving wife that you could ever hope for. You know, she she's the she's the homemaker that you would hope for. And she is his partner. She's not clean, exactly. Um, but for, how do I say it? You see Bradley Cooper physically choosing this path of destruction over this path of happiness. They could have continued the show, could have saved, could have had a good life, maybe had a family. But instead, this, this other woman drags him into this other direction where death is upon him. You know, and she, she even says, oh, you know, it's, it's risky going down this road. What the fuck do you expect? She's a better con man, con woman than he, than he is at that point. And if he couldn't read that he was getting played, I mean, fuck, that might be his fault. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, you know, Rooney Mara, who plays, you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, Molly. Molly's a character. She's such a physical 
like performer, like like she can give out a look or she can give like a stare and she kind of tells you everything with her body language. Like she's such a good act. That's why the movie A Ghost Story works so well because she has almost no dialogue and it's all based on like how she's feeling, how she's dealing with grief and how, and it's just all quiet and all that and all physical. But when she gets talking, God, she's good. I mean, she, she has that great monologue at the start of the, the social network where she basically tells Zuckerberg like, Hey, you know, you're going to grow up to be this, this uh, fancy computer person. And you're going to think that girls don't like you because you're a nerd, but really it's because you're an asshole. And, <laughs> oh God, she has my heart since that day. And uh, she's really good in this. She really plays that kind of like estranged uh, wife character. Who's like, just come home. Like, just like, just like, tell me what's happening. Tell me the truth. Um, she, cause she needs to know. And the fact that she like, stays with them after everything and like plays into this, this lie, this con that he's running, which is a very, very, uh, what's the word? Uh, intricate. Not intricate. I was going to say like, uh, like you do it without heart. Like you do it like cold. It's a hard, it, it's a cold hearted thing to do. Like, Hey, let hey, please dress as this guy, death wife, just to give him some closure. And he gives us money. That's fucking mean, man. <laughs> and you know, she's played up as this, like, oh, you know, I don't break a glass. I'm, I'm, you know, all, all, all pure. And like, she is this really pure character. But the fact that she agrees with him and stays with him, I think, says how much of a hold he had on her uh, this entire time. Even though he was introduced as like the underdog. Even though he was introduced as like, as like the, the, oh, you know, I don't break a glass. I don't do anything wrong. And then immediately he's given a little bit of power. And yeah, we lose him immediately. And kick right in the nuts. Yeah. Kick right in the nuts. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad that she survives at the end, you know, and like gets the fuck out of there. Um, <laughs> but no, she's great in it. And she, 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 she's, always, she's always great in stuff. Um, but yeah, if, if you've seen Social Network or her or Carol, Ghost Story or. Hell, even Lion, which was recent, like she, she's, she's always good. Uh, did you know? Uh, fun fact: did you, did you know Rooney Mara is a football royalty? I think her family owns the. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I know they own a football team. Uh, they are. Uh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. They're Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes. Half right. Okay. Her so get this, her father. I'm gonna get them mixed up one way or the other. Yeah. It's either her father's side founded the Steelers, and her mother's side helped to find, found, and own the New York Giants, or it's the other way where her mother's side founded the Steelers, yeah. and her father's side uh, co-owns the Giants. Okay, she is yeah, football think- royalty incarnate. <laughs> Why did I think she was British then? <laughs> I, they might be shit. British people have money, but since no, you just, know, that's no, just American. She's American now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but since you know, the Giants are in the NFC East and the Steelers can go fuck themselves. I mean, I still hate her. I I, I now have to hate her as a person now, unfortunately. <laughs> so, Rooney Mara, your performance in this film is adequate at best. <laughs> that those are my mean words for you. You were Why? great though, in uh, in uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. 
why why do we hate the Steelers? Okay, how okay, please uh please uh fill me up with this because I don't know if we as cowboy fans, because I am one as well, I have to. <laughs> why do we hate the Steelers? Um, long-term franchise rivalry, they have either have equal to or one more Super Bowl than we do, so fuck them for that reason as well. Also, Ben Raplisberger is a thing. Um, okay. his, his, his name is technically Ben Roethlisberger, but uh, there was a sexual assault that he allegedly did at a hotel with a girl who may or may not have been underage, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it just so happens that right around the time the charges were going to be filed, he happened to propose to his long-term girlfriend. They happened to get pregnant and, you know, put out all this good energy right when the case was happening. I'm just fucking saying, maybe, maybe. You know, okay. white dude, a lot of money, got off on charges. Is that really that rare? I'm just saying. Okay. And, okay, I have another question. Sure. How come Dra- how come Dak Prescott is the highest paid quarterback of all, of all time and yet he sucks so much? He doesn't suck. <laughs> no, okay. He should, he should not I just have gotten that big contract. I just learned that fact this morning. I need answers. <laughs> okay, okay. Wait, who who told you this fact? And I will give you a good rebuttal. <laughs> My sister. <laughs> Tell your sister. He is no, no, no. Answer the question first. Answer no, he question. is overpaid. No, no, no. I'm going to answer. Okay. He is overpaid. Okay. He is overpaid. I'll give you that. Um, he is overpaid. He has incredible talent. But... He lacks the few the football IQ that other quarterbacks do. He's a great player, but it's like a director. Think of it like this: it's a director directing his like second movie versus a director on his twentieth movie. He has more tricks and he has more knowledge, more tricks of the trade later on. You, you get what I mean? His IQ is better, you know, when he's at a later stage in his career. Dak is still semi early ish. I do agree though; he is overpaid. I will completely okay. agree. Why is he overpaid if he hasn't? Did he show like a lot of promise in his in his college years or what? Oh, oh no no no! His rookie season, we went thirteen and three. We were the number one seed in the NFC. Like on half the league, we were number one, like by far and large. Um, so it's like this guy has a lot of talent. I think his second year, no, second year he started a good run. Third year he got injured pretty early on, if I'm not mistaken. So he was he was coming off an injury. Uh, but there was a lot of back and forth, like, well, if you fuckers don't sign me, like, I'm not going to play. So it, it, it was a big embroidered thing. And he basically said, look, if you want to win a Super Bowl, I need my money. Like, I need to get paid what a Super Bowl winning quarterback should be paid. You're going to have me for the next four to five years. I need to either you sign me to a big contract for five years or you sign me to a smaller contract but only for four years. Because in theory, on that fifth year, he should be able to renegotiate for one more big contract versus his fifth year where he'd have to negotiate for a smaller one. It's mathematics. It's stupid. I, Dak, God damn it, you're overpaid, man. Take a fucking pay cut. That way we can get better players to help you. <laughs> okay, so at least at least you agree that he's overpaid. Oh, by far. Okay. So if okay. all of you the Guillermo del Toro fans, we're back. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, so so that's why we don't like the the Steelers. Why don't we lo- don't like the Giants? Oh, because fuck them. They're, they're they're rivals. That's it. They're in the same league as us, uh, and they've actually won two Super Bowls since the last time we won ours. Oh, so, I mean, fuck them. Also, the season where we almost had a perfect season, probably the best season we had in the last twenty years. Uh, they beat us in the playoffs to go into the Super Bowl and defeat Tom Brady. So fuck them. Hmm. Yeah, I said okay. what I said. Fuck them. Anyway. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> well, well, I am a big fan of Rooney Mara, so <laughs> if I, if that if that's worth something, I'm a big fan of her partner. Oh, she's dating Joaquin Phoenix, right? Yeah, dude, that's that's a powerhouse couple if I've ever seen one. That is, yeah. They, they should get uh, they should play uh, a husband and a wife in a movie and just watch them unravel. They played uh, she played her his like ex wife and her. Oh my god! I just realized something. What, what if in Joker two she plays? Oh my god! Of course you were always like I know that look. Like you made a look, and I was like, "Oh, he's he, he's fan casting her in something." Okay, it's something DC related. <laughs> tell oh, tell me, tell me that wouldn't work. Like she okay. plays a nurse, she plays a psychologist that slowly breaks down, and she becomes like a Harley Quinn, a Harley Quinn has character to him. In you know Arkham she, she she would rock that role. She would kill she it would. in the role. She would, yeah. And then in um, the, and then in the last movie, we have her and Margaravi fight to the death. I'm kidding. Anyway, oh god, if she was a uh, I know they're not going to do this because they're technically not in the same universe, but like the Joker movie and the, the Batman movie that's, that's coming out, they're not connected, right? No, but I mean, what is there to suggest that they are? Because if you look at it, what tech? Like, I don't, I don't remember seeing a phone in the Batman trailer. We need to see at, at what time does that take place, okay? Uh, oh, wait, there, there are iPhones in that trailer. I remember now they were using a phone to record the Robert Pattinson, he was beating the shit out of that guy with the. Okay. I'm vengeance. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, then. Then never mind. God, can you believe that movie's going to be almost three hours long? I already bought my tickets, motherfucker. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I saw, I saw me. We'll, 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 we'll get back to, to, to Nightmare Alley in a second. But, like, <laughs> I saw, I saw one meme. Uh, they had Goku and Vegeta. They were fighting. Mm-hmm. And someone wrote, "Wait, Vegeta, let's get out of here. Let's go fight somewhere where no one is, where, where the, there's no one there." And then they they Photoshop them in like the website to buy tickets in Mexico for the for the pre sale for the Batman tickets because nobody's buying. Because nobody's buying. <laughs> Why? Okay, maybe it's because the last thing that like the last superhero movie that came out was Spider Man. So like. Yeah that you know all websites went down for that yeah this one you can still buy tickets if you want you could probably still buy tickets like at a at, at, at opening night you could probably still buy them for like the best seats because like they're not selling out like spider-man tickets are um but yeah that's i just i just remember that it, it came back it's gonna be good like it's got it's it's not gonna suck okay <laughs> like oh, worst man. case scenario it's fine i i can't wait i'm gonna do a one-man podcast where are you with myself what's better the batman <laughs> or the dark knight and i'm gonna break <laughs> myself in the end i'm just gonna err err fall over oh god like worst case scenario it's fine really like that's that's how i see that worst case scenario it is incredible and it meets all my expectations Best case scenario. We forget Christian Bell was born. Um, oh, geez. Um, let me connect this back and let me ask you a question. Now that you've seen Nightmare Alley, do you mm-hmm. remember when Guillermo del Toro was attached to direct the Justice League Dark movie? I still wish. I still want that to happen. I want that to happen before I saw this movie. Like, I knew enough <laughs> about del Toro to be like, he would kill it if he did it. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, because I don't know a lot of Justice League Dark. I think I only know uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, something. I was going to say Constantine, but yeah, I guess something too. So Justice League Dark consists of uh, Del Toro's cast was uh, it was going to be John Constantine, Swamp Thing, Dead Man, uh, Jason Blood slash Etrick and the Demon, and Zatanna. Um, that was going to be his five core people. He was attached to direct it up until 2009, I want to say. The issue that they kept having was that they kept delaying the film and he kept taking on more projects. He yeah. he got to a point where it's like, look, man, I wrote it. Just pick someone to direct it at this point. Like, like yeah. he, he kept saying, um, I want to do it, but either you need to schedule me because I'm going to keep taking films. And his films aren't quick, you know. Yeah. He develops them over the course of about two years and then films for about a year, you know, less than edits and does everything. His films yeah. take time. So he said, either you need to schedule me or I'm going to keep taking projects and it's going to keep getting pushed back, which unfortunately it did. Um, but a Del Toro Justice League dark film would have been incredible, like in fucking incredible. Uh, who, would you, who would you have cast it? I have a fan I know cast. You, I know you have a fan cast. Tell me the fan cast. Uh, for Constantine, uh, I'll say Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, okay. Uh, but blonde hair, like that, like like bleach tip uh, blonde Like hair. in the show? Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, you wouldn't bring back the guy from the show? No, I mean, he did a good job. But like for me, it's like, well, one, we need star power. And two, I just think Colin Farrell's awesome. If you want, if you need convincing uh, him in uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, was he was great in that? Like, I yeah. feel like that's the like the one, proto right? role. Yeah, so okay. I feel like that's like the proto role. Like he fits the character of John Constantine. So let's fucking go there. Okay. Um, and uh, God damn it, I don't have my list with me, but they, I remember Constantine's uh, casting. Would you have kept Satana from the so the first Suicide Squad or somewhere else? Satana was in the Suicide Squad. She wasn't the girl with the with the with the samurai sword. No, that's Katana. That's the. Oh God damn it! Okay, fine. <laughs> All good. Silly uh, me. Like, there's just the same fucking name with like a different. Katana. Anyway. Okay, Bema. <laughs> so Nightmare by Guillermo del Toro. The film ends with like this great, uh, this great third act that feels. It talks on the heartstrings a bit because you kind of feel bad for this. I felt a little bit bad for the I rarely feel bad for the rich. And I feel bad for this judge. Yeah, like, fuck this guy. He forced his wife to have an abortion. <laughs> fuck this guy. No, but like nobody deserves to get played like that. And you know, no one no one was right here. No one was right. I think everyone was a victim except for Bradley Cooper, but he is the white man, so you know, can't he really had everything. So uh <laughs> Look, man, this judge deserved it. Bradley Cooper deserved it. They all deserved the bad face that they got, except for Kate Blanchett. She should have been murdered. No. She was doing her thing. She had a gun. Just pop her in the head and then run, you fucking idiot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this movie ends, and it kind of comes full circle. There's, like, a really beautiful uh, a moment near the end of the movie where, like, everyone in the, in, the, in the theater, we were all thinking the same thing. The second that he got into that train, and he sat behind, the, and he hid behind those chickens. And he was like, sat there. Uh, we all thought the same thing. He's going to be the geek. He's yes. going to end up back into the carnival. And he's going to be the new geek. I, for real, 
I honestly thought the movie was going to end with like the foe finding him behind the chickens and being like, it's a part-time job. Like, <laughs> and I've thought that that's when the movie got, get, was, was going to end. But then, you know, you can confirm it. We all thought the same thing that because he could have just kept riding that high. He could have stayed at the carnival. He could have just developed that and become a part of that. But no, he had to take that outside. And that Pete warned him. He told him it's dangerous. He told him you lose part of yourself. You start believing your own lies. And, uh, and everything just came back at him. It was beautiful, man. And then at the end, he finds himself in another carnival. And he's like, oh, I have an act. I can do things. And then, he's, and then the, the carnival is just like, a part-time job and yeah. and then we have and then we have uh what what looked what felt like an a24 scene where he just starts you know creepily laughing until for like a full minute and the movie ends uh yeah so i had a quick question i forgot to ask this do you think he poisoned pete on purpose part of me thinks it was on purpose part of me part of me believes so too but i don't think the movie tells you directly like mm -hmm. i think it lets you get get get, get to that conclusion um no you're not wrong and then i remember the, the scene so I, I want to talk about a scene real quick but that made me go ah there it is when he's back at the farm but just before the beginning of the film you can presume it's his father who's like cold on a bed you know trying to stay warm and cooper just says you know i've always hated you so he lifts up the the window takes the blanket from him and lets him freeze right there just watching his father just die and i'm just like is this justice is this justice yeah the the, the meme of the guy with the butterfly yeah I, um so i don't know man like part of me is like people get what they deserve like i like this film feels like it's it's a lot of like not the best form of justice but like no one is innocent in this film. Not even Rooney Mara. Like, her character is not innocent at all. She went along with it all. Um, but from the point that he kills his father to the point where, you know, his, his little thin mustache has become a very thick beard. He has long hair. He's, he's an alcoholic now. He's an addict. And it comes full circle, you know. And you even see uh, Enrock? Enrock? Or Ernick? The, 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 the Cyclops, baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you see yeah. that and his radio from the very beginning. And I'm just like, son of a bitch. I can't believe it. Um, and he says, you know, you know what a geek is, right? Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my God, he's playing him. And the thing is, Cooper knows he's getting played. But he lets but what it else is he? What else is he supposed to do? Like, he's lost everything. Yeah. You, you know what? That's another thing that kind of pissed me off when he's like, it's all singles. Where's the money? I'm like. There's at least $1,500 there at worst. And back then to now, that's 23 grand. That gets you at least six solid fucking months, man. All right. You fucking idiot. You take the money, you come back like in a few weeks, pop her on the head and then go. But with that amount of money, how many ghost energy drinks can you buy with that amount of money? With 23 grand? Yeah. <sighs> Divide. I'm actually gonna do the fucking math right now. Everybody talk for <laughs> talk for like 15 seconds. So yeah, so that's that's the, the that's the question. We will not stop speaking well of Ghost Energy Drink until we get a sponsor deal. There it is, nine thousand two hundred. There we go. That could have kept him alive without sleeping for like a good 
couple of weeks. I'm pretty think. sure that would have killed him. I'm pretty sure that would kill me too, and that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> I had three hundred so, drinks today. Bring it the fuck on. There we go. So, so yeah, so yeah, the movie is a cash on tell. I think I only forgive long movies when they have an ending as strong as this as, as this one. And while I do think it is a strong ending, that. It's going to leave audiences walking out of the theater like, I'm smart. I understood that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah, like, I do feel like it, it, it is a good movie and it, and it, and it is enjoyable. Um, but I still remain on the fact that I still feel like this is like a movie that the studio told Del Toro, like, hey, do it, make a lot of money. We'll let you do something cool, like, in a couple of years, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, even... Del Toro at his most corporate. It's it's like listening to a really cool indie band and they release a pop single because they need to pay the rent. <laughs> I know you guys love all the other shit that I do, but guys, just give me give me a minute here. I, I need to yeah. I need to do this. Yeah, but it could be a very bad single, and it's not. It's good. So yeah. So that's that's what I think about about Nightmare Alley. I think uh, it is Del Toro at his most accessible. It is Del Toro at his uh, at his probably the most uh, tropius, probably at his most structured, mm-hmm. um, and that's not a bad thing. You know, it's just uh, it leads to a more focused uh, experience that you know, like I said, more easily digestible. Um, but I will prefer that from him than I don't know someone like Michael Bay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I have to pick between a, a Guillermo del Toro experience or a Michael Bay experience, I mean, that's a one that's a no brainer. Um, this is this is a very del Toro uh film, restrained, you're right, but it still feels like he still has enough of his like personality there, absolutely, which, which just goes to show what a great storyteller he is because he doesn't have the ability. And th- I'm this is not a this is not me criticizing, it's more of an observation and appraisal. Yeah. He doesn't have monsters to, to fall back on for an incredible, incredible spectacle. He doesn't have these big action set pieces to fall back on or like these moments of like, ooh, look at all this. Like, look at the world that he built. He doesn't have that. All yeah. he has are these tools, these feasible tools that he has to work with to tell the story. And he does an incredible job. So, I, and again, that's not a criticism. I hope, I hope it doesn't come off like that. It's more yeah. of a, a, a appraisal. Like, dude, you we they took away all your toys and you still did a great fucking job like yeah. props to you if they took away uh most of the directors you take away their toys you take away the explosions from michael bay you know what does he have yeah i think we could even see this as like experimental like this is kind of like what edgar wright did last year with uh last night in soho mm-hmm. like he's stepping into a new territory mm-hmm. and i think if anything I hope that this movie does make the money that the studio wants it to make. Uh, clearly, it's doing well critically. I mean, it, it, it got, it's nominated for, 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 for Best Picture and everything. Um, but if anything, I hope that this helps Del Toro become a better storyteller. Because if he can, like you said, if he can do something well without his usual, uh, with his usual things that he shows and tells... Um, I think he's going to come out stronger and maybe become more experimental as a director and maybe direct like an amazing next movie, which I really want to see how, how, how Pinocchio comes out. I am way more excited about what he does in the future. So I loved it. I love the uh, Nightmare Alley. Um, I think I will give it a good uh, 8.6 out of 10. I enjoyed it. 
I agree. I think an A. I think this film deserves like an A minus. It, it's it's in the upper echelon of film. Um, yeah. Although I'll also give this. You know what? Uh, let me give this a, a little more praise. This is one of those movies that I'll probably watch a second time soon. Okay. Which is not common. Like I very rarely watch movies twice within the span of like a month. Uh, it's yeah. rare, but this is feels like one of those movies I probably will. I will rewatch it at some point, but I feel like you need to put out a whole afternoon for it. Like it's long. Oh yeah. No, I mean, shit. I had to part it out between two days. I had to watch the first 30 minutes one day and then the rest of the film the following day. Um, okay. But before it's worth, I couldn't wait to finish it. Like I spent the whole day just like, I need to get there. I need to get there. So I could, I could watch it. I wanted to finish it. I had, a, I had an itch for it. Yeah. Um, I watched it in theaters mm-hmm. and I, I rented out, well, not, not, not rented out, but like I got to the, uh, I got tickets for like the, there's a special set of rooms where mm-hmm. you can like, you share like that's the recliner. Yeah. So it, it, it reclines completely. So like I'm literally laying down watching the movie and it feels awesome. Cause I'm, I'm like, it's like, I'm in my bed. Like it's just, I'm just watching the movie and movies like this need that because it's two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, if, like, I saw, like, and, and I think I've seen most of the movies that I've, that I've seen back in theaters like that. I think the, there's only been, like, a couple that I haven't. Uh, then, like, I think Resident Evil was, was was one of them. And, like, most of them, I'm just like, oh, fuck, this is amazing. It's, like, big screen, <laughs> recliner seat. Fucking yeah. awesome. But, yeah. But, yeah, if I had watched this in, like, a normal seat, I would have been annoyed. <laughs> yeah. So, which is why I think this movie would be really good for streaming. And I think it's on Hulu. So it is. it is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, everyone have at it. And plus it's easy because you know, it's, if you're going to watch all your Oscar movies, like it's right there, watch it. It's great. Yeah. Slowly but surely we're going to get all of them on streaming, <laughs> but at least before the Oscars, I think we're getting West side story on Disney plus uh, start of March. And I think in a couple of weeks, we're going to get drive my car on HBO. So yeah. I'm down get for ready. it. Can't wait. Yeah. All right, man. So that's Nightmare Alley. Anything else you want to add? No. Um, no. Should we? Should we let's wrap it up. All right. Okay. Go. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to hear more about our thoughts on movies, check out our feeds. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, you can check us out. Uh, if you want to see my face, I'm on YouTube. We have links, you know, pretty much to every major place that you can find your podcasts. Uh, do us a favor, maybe share us with your friends, you know, maybe mention to some people that there's a podcast with two dudes who don't do a very good job, but maybe give them a listen anyway. Yeah, that's, that, that's exactly how, how I sell the show to my friends. The, the world's okayest podcast. And we're okayest with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we don't know if you're about that. My name is Chema. I've been Eddie. And this... And this- was, was the, rollback. the rollback signing off with a reminder to not sleep with your psychologist that is not what they're for and it would only lead to horrible horrible things trust me i know from the inside bye everybody <laughs> 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 <laughs>